Good morning, church family. My name is Val Lascoda, and this is my husband, Bill. Good morning. My name is Bill Lascoda, and standing beside me is my very best friend of 53 years, my high school sweetheart of, and wife of 48. Thank you. As you can tell, she enjoys and loves music. And when we found out that we were going to be reading scripture this morning, she said, I can set it to music. And I said, what a great idea. Let's not do it. <laughs> Our scripture this morning comes from Colossians 1, verses 15 through 23. Please stand for the reading of God's word. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Please be seated. Thank you again, Dr. Bill and Val. And um, Val, um, because you'll hear part of this was a, actually a song, so maybe you should have done that. I would have loved to have heard Bill sing that. And we're so glad for the uh, shepherds class who, whose music has brought us to Jesus and for the choristers and the choir whose music has, has focused us on Jesus. So I think probably I should preach about Jesus, don't you think? All right, so that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. Um, and as I was preparing this sermon, I remembered when I lived in Germany, uh, they're going to the Menzel Gallery in Berlin, and there is a painting done there by Adolf von Menzel that is entitled King Frederick, Friedrich, uh, the, uh, the Great Addresses His Generals. So I, I found a picture of that. Here it is for you to see it. Now, the uh, artist, von Menzel, obviously intended 
to portray King Frederick motivating the generals, like a, like a good manager or coach tries to motivate uh, the team. But it took von Menzel so long to get this painting done that, that he died before he finished it. Do you see that there are parts that are unfinished? Now, when you look at that painting, you'll see a lot of detail there, mostly of, of generals and of the landscape that is there, but some things are missing, and especially one thing that is rather important is, is missing, and that is this picture, which is supposed to be all about King Frederick, the central figure, where he's supposed to be as a blank. Uh, do you see that? The painting's supposed to be about King Frederick, but King Frederick is not in the picture at all. Now, why did I think about that as I thought about my sermon to you today? It's made me think, is it possible for us who claim to be followers of Jesus and that Jesus is the Lord of our lives, that if people actually watched us and how we make decisions and the things that we think about and long for and talk about, is it possible that they never see or hear anything about Jesus? Is there a blank where Jesus should be? I've really thought much more seriously about us as a church. Is it possible that people who would come and visit uh, for a number of weeks would see all the things that we do with all the programs that we have and our church polity and, and our building and all that, see all of that stuff that is here, but, but where Jesus is supposed to be seems like, at least to them, a blank. Is there a blank where Jesus should be? That's, that's what I want us to think about today and what would happen if that's true. Uh, because when you read church history, let me tell you something. You can find that there are many groups that seem to have started rather well with uh, the, the central things of the Bible being central to the movement, but have moved away and into sectarianism and often into things that are just utterly wrong. And almost always, you can find some place in that movement where they moved away from the centrality of Jesus over everything in the life of their church. Now, those other things they put into the first place of the church, they're not always unimportant. They're just not the most important one. And you and I can name what some of those things are. Things like, in my own life, uh, a focus on the exact how and when Jesus might return. Often the thing that people put in the focus is a, a different kind of rules. Legalism begins to set in. I mean... Uh, what you should or should not wear, what you should or should not eat, what you should or should not do on the Lord's Day or any other time. Now, I'm not saying that none of those things are important. Secondary things can often be important. I, I just don't think any of them are as important as Jesus. Does anybody agree with me there? And uh, if, if anything happens here at Lake where, where Jesus really is being pushed to the side, other things come to the center, the same thing will happen here. Because what happens in those movements is that they become divisive. It is us against them. We believe this and they don't, no matter what they say about Jesus. And that whole issue brings me to what I want to talk to you about today. Uh, those who've been with us for a while, what we're doing over these weeks is remembering the 500th birthday of when God, in my view, raised up a number of different people um, because they became convinced that the church of their day was putting secondary things at the center. And they called people back to the main parts of what you find in the Bible. And, we've been, and as people looked at that later and looked back in church history, they boiled down the things they talked about uh, under what we call the five solas. 
I know that's not a word we ever use. It's a Latin word, but I said it because it sounds better than the five onlys or five alones because that's what the word means. But that's what we're doing week after week after week because I want those pillars to be sure to be the main pillars of all that we do, all that we proclaim here at Lake Avenue Church, that when children come or senior adults come, that those will be at the very heartbeat of this church. So week number one started with sola scriptura. Pastor Chuck Hunt brought a clear and I thought a wonderful message about when we ask the questions, um, what is it we believe and how should we live? Uh, the center of that is going to come back. The final authority for that is scripture, sola scriptura, scriptura, scripture alone. Uh, then the next week, Pastor Tim Peck came and brought a wonderful message about sola fide, only faith. That the only hope for us is not what we do, but placing our faith in Jesus. Uh, last week, after I'd been away for a number of weeks with, with some health issues, I had this blessing, this privilege to come back and think about sola gratia, uh, only grace. Uh, grace, a free gift. And we get a lot of gifts at different times of year, but this is a gift like no other. Because this is a gift that we need for our very survival, for our eternal life. And it's something that you and I have no way, no capacity to earn or to buy. And yet God offers to, it to us. Now today we come to the fourth, sola. It really is the one from which all the others simply flow. It is solus Christus, Christ alone. And my goal is this, that in your life and in the life of this church, that whenever people see you or whenever people come and visit here, they will know at the very center of everything is the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want there to be a blank in this church where Jesus should be, like in Mencel's painting. Now, when you look back at what the reformers wrote, there were uh, two verses that especially helped crystallize all of this. Uh, you've learned it. You've heard many of Some of you have. But let me show them to you again. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. It was the Apostle Paul who then would, would write this. There is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. It is the man, Christ Jesus. Christ alone. And the other is found in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name other than Jesus, under heaven given by which we must be saved. Now, as we come back to, to this Solus Christus, let me give you a little bit of history, a little bit of background. The most famous act that led to this uh, movement of the church being reformed took place on a Saturday morning, October 31st, 1517. Were any of you uh, there? Uh, it was when Dr. Martin Luther, who was a 33-year-old Roman Catholic priest and theology professor at the University of Wittenberg, stood in front of the doors of the Schlosskirche, the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, and he, he, he nailed on the doors of the church 95 theses. So I, I put these up here in front of them so that as I'm speaking, you can read them. He, they were handwritten. <laughs> they were handwritten. Um, so I, I thought you might not read his penmanship, so I'll put them up here. Though they are in Latin, you'll have to pull that back. Uh, what happened was, if, if you look back to the church then, was that, that Martin Luther and the others were primarily coming back to what we talked about today, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, faith in him through the grace offered through him, actually to fully rescue us and to change our lives. Uh, the problem that Luther and others were addressing back in his day was not 
that the church people and the church leaders didn't believe in Jesus. They did. It wasn't that they believe, didn't believe that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross for sin, and that he rose again. They believed all of that. It was that. They believed that that was not sufficient fully for our salvation, that we had to add works to that faith in order for us actually to be fully saved by God. Now, now you can imagine that if my works had to be good enough to actually even be added to my faith, that even when, by the time I get to heaven, I'm sure that there's still going to be incomplete works in my life. Does anybody here think that maybe we're not yet perfect, ready to meet God? You don't have to vote, but I already know that it's true of you and me, and it was true of everybody back in the Reformation days as well. And so because of that, a doctrine developed over the many centuries that when people died, of course, something has to happen about all those sins that are still there. They have to be purged somehow. And so the doctrine of purgatory, purgatory, purged, uh, developed. Over the years, people said that when people die, they go into purgatory. They're in this awful place of sins being purged. And, of course, loved ones, when their loved ones died, agonized over this. And so the church developed a doctrine that it, would, it was possible to be able to get your loved ones out of purgatory early by paying money to the church called indulgences. What do you think of that? It makes sense, but it, there's nowhere in the Bible. But while trying to raise money to build the St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, one of the particularly effective fundraisers, his name was Johann Tetzel, used a slogan that as he went around Germany raising money, and telling people you can get your loved one out of purgatory if you'll give money, he used a slogan that infuriated Martin Luther and others. So I'm going to show you that and see if it responded in the same way. This is what he said. Wenn die Münze im Kästlein klingt, die Seele in den Himmel springt. Well, you're not as infuriated as, as, as you should be. So I better put it up here in English. Here it is. When the coins in the coffer cling, souls from purgatory to heaven spring. <laughs> I thought I might get a few amens about that. I was, I, was hoping, I was hoping not. I'll tell you, when you read Luther's 95 Theses, what you'll find is that there are really just 95 reasons why paying money can get nobody to heaven. To all of this stuff calling the church back to biblical faith, they declared solus Christus. It is Christ alone. What Jesus did on the cross and through his resurrection is sufficient to forgive us, to save us, and to complete the work of Christ in us. So, uh, I come here to, to declare that today. But you know, in the day that, in which we live, and especially here in Southern California, uh, this issue of the sufficiency of what Jesus did to actually save us is not anything that many people talk about. We, we live in a very pluralistic world in which we mostly sort of believe that everybody should be able to believe whatever he or she wants to believe. Um, our, our 21st century mantra is sort of this, Pastor Greg, it all sounds good, whatever, whatever you believe is okay if it works for you. If you want to believe in Jesus, go ahead and do so. Uh, but you see, it's not the sufficiency of Christ alone that's questioned. It is the uniqueness, the exclusiveness of the claims of Jesus that people are troubled by in our day. Are you with me here? 
I mean, the whole teaching that you find in the Bible that Jesus and Jesus alone is both God and man and therefore can bring us to God. That Jesus and Jesus alone lived a sinless life that we should live but we haven't. That therefore he and he alone was able to take our place and atone for our sin. And therefore he and he alone is able to forgive our sins and make us right with God. I'll tell you, that teaching is as offensive in our day as all of this teaching about the sufficiency of Jesus was back 500 years ago. So here we come to Lake Avenue Church and the pastor gets up and talks about solus Christus, Christ alone. What, 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 what do we believe here about that at Lake Avenue Church? And so is it up there? That we are a solus Christus church. So if you're going to come here, you need to know that up front. Jesus is going to be at the center. Now, do you know that we have a statement of faith here at Lake? Some of you do. Um, not all. It, it's on our website, so you can go and find, just put into the search mechanism, Statement of Faith Avenue Church, and you can pull it up and look at it and the commentary that is there. What it is at, at Lake Avenue Church is, is a, a series of 10 articles that provide the foundation and the parameters of all that we teach and preach that is here. Now, everything that we talk about in terms of living for God is not in those, ten, but this is, the, this is the foundation, the parameters for what we teach and preach. And so today, in the way that I started the message with that uh, uh, picture from, from Von Menzel, the question you should have is, is Jesus mentioned in that statement of faith? <laughs> or is in what you believe where Jesus should be a blank spot? And my answer to you is this, that in one sense... Because our statement of faith is all put together around the gospel. Each one of them flows out of the gospel. And by gospel, we mean the word that summarizes what this entire Bible is about. Who God is all the way to the place of what he's going to do when he finishes everything. And as you may know, the centerpiece of the gospel is Jesus. His life, death, and resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So in many ways, every one of our 10 statements really points to Jesus. But there are two that specifically talk about who he is and what he's done. And so I'm, knowing that there would probably be three of you at the 11 o'clock service who would not go on to the website and actually read this, I'm going to make you look at it. So wake up and look up here right now. It's article chapter 4. You with me here? Article chapter 4. And I want you to ask as I read it, do I believe this? We believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, God in flesh. Fully God, fully man. One person in those two natures. Jesus, Israel's promised Messiah, was conceived through the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a sinless life, was crucified under Pontius Pilate, arose bodily from the dead, ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father as our high priest and advocate. Do you believe that? that that's the person of Jesus, the person of Jesus. <laughs> then Article 5 is all about what he did. And this is what we, we say. We believe that Jesus Christ as our representative and substitute shed his blood on the cross as the perfect all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins. His atoning death and victorious resurrection 
constitute the only ground for our salvation. So that's, I want you to know that, that when you come to Lake or you bring your children to Lake or your middle schoolers and high schoolers, when you come to Lake, wherever you are, all the way up through senior adulthood, Jesus is going to be the center of what we talk about. He is the Lord of this church and of, I'll just tell you of my life. Now, that, that's a bit of the history. That's a bit of what we believe. But I didn't want you to leave today without at least getting a chance to see something about the Bible talking about Jesus. So I looked to try to find just one Solus Christus Bible passage that you could take with you. And I, I could have picked so many. I could have picked so many. But I chose the Apostle Paul's. After he had met Jesus and Jesus had changed his life, he looked back when he wrote one of his letters that just reminded us of who Jesus is. It's found in Colossians 1, 15 to 23. It's what Bill and Val read for us. I'll tell you, I, I don't think there's a more majestic statement about Jesus in the entire Bible. Sometimes when you have theology or talk about these kind of things, it's sort of cerebral, right? But I'm telling you, when you read what Paul writes, this is anything but that. Because you've got to remember the one who wrote it had his life changed when he met Jesus. So really when he wrote it, uh, Bill sort of laughingly said Val was going to put that to music. But actually verses 15 to 20 probably is a song of the early church. Because I'll tell you when you've actually met Jesus and he's the center of your life, sometimes it's only music or the arts that are able to express so much of what Jesus means to us. And so that's what you, this just explodes with what, who Jesus is. So I can never do it justice. But here's what I've tried to do. I've, I've just tried to boil down for you a few of the things that Jesus said, uh, that Paul says about the Jesus that changed his life. He, he said, Jesus is God, Jesus is creator, and Jesus is recreator. So I, I'll see if I can keep it from being anything but boring for you. Jesus is God. So I, I, when I read this, he's trying to put into words what has transformed his life. And he uses phrases like this in verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, I don't know if you like me. Sometimes I've had people come to your door and knocking on it and giving you a pamphlet and telling you that Jesus isn't God. Or maybe in the street, sometimes people hand you that thing. And, and they'll often look at this verse and they say, look at that. It says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is not God. If anybody says that to you, don't buy a word of it. Uh, the word that's translated image is icon. And just as the way that Paul uses it, what it means is a visible manifestation of something else that's real, but is invisible. And in that, it's saying that God is real. And God has not been, the Father has not been seen with our eyes or with our senses. We can't get to him. Who is going to make him known? And it is Jesus who is the physical presence of God on earth. So the Apostle John made that so clear in John chapter 1, verse 18, in, in which he said, no one has ever seen God, the Father, at any time except God, the one and only Son. He makes him known. And actually Jesus himself uh, confirmed that. And this time just before he went to the cross, uh, Philip, one of the apostles, turned to him and said, Jesus, all this dying stuff, we don't want that. Just show us the Father. <laughs> and you remember what Jesus said to him, Philip, after all these years, don't you know me? If you have seen me, you see the Father. So that's he's declaring. He is the one who makes God known to you. Statement two, Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. And if you've ever been in any of these conversations with people who knock at your door, they may say, as they've said to me, oh, okay, I, I see that. But look, Jesus is the firstborn 
He was born. He's a creature too. But you will say, or I hope you will say, not so fast. Did you read the very next verses? First of all, he's talking about firstborn from the dead. And secondly, it says there so clearly that anything that has been made was made through him. There is nothing that is a thing that he has not made. When anything was created, he was already there. So what is this language firstborn about? I know this is confusing for you people who are like me who grew up here in the United States or in Europe because, you know, in our families we don't have these kind of things where there might be one child who is in charge of more than the other, but in the rest of all of it, we have many in our church who have grown up in extended family settings. And I'm not saying it's better, it has its downsides, but it, that's the kind of world that Paul was writing into. And you know, the firstborn son was the one who had the authority over all the wealth, all the inheritance, the decisions that the family made, for better, for worse, as some of you have said to me since I made this point in the first two, two uh, messages. But you do see what Paul is saying here, don't you? That God has always had an intention to put together a family of pay, made up of people from every tribe and language and nation. In order for us to be in that family, someone had to experience death on our behalf, be the firstborn out of death, and he is the firstborn over this family with all the authority over the family. And if you miss it, look at verse 18. He is the head of the church. That's what he's saying here. That's what, all the authority that God had was vested in him. Father and eternal son. He is God. And then in case any of that is still confusing for you, verse 19, the apostle Paul in the song just makes it so clear. All God's fullness dwelt in him. All that God was and is and will be was all that Jesus was and is and will be. Paul had to sing about it. He had to sing about it. And, and so this Christmas we'll be singing about some of that too. People who have come to know this Jesus throughout the years have had the same thrill that the Apostle Paul had. Charles Wesley was one of them. And in a song we're going to sing at Christmas and when we sing it, uh, I hope you'll just be thrilled. Hark the herald angels sing with these lines. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate in flesh, Deity. Sometimes I'll hear that out in the mall or in an elevator and I'll think, do they know what's being proclaimed? So we see that Jesus is God. But, but Paul said also, as you and I live in this world, you see he is God, but he's also creator. And, and he uses three prepositions that because in, through, and to him all things were made. So verse 16, as you think about the Jesus you believe in. In him all things were created. That, that's strange language for us too. But it really means in the sphere of the authority of Jesus. That he had the authority and the power to make all things and he actually did it. Therefore he can remake all things. In, through Christ or by Christ all things have been created. So that before anything was, before there was ever a thing, Jesus was. The Bible really is telling us, and here in our church, we have so many of you who are scientists, so many artists, so that when you look around you and, and you see this world that God has put you in, artists, when you see the beauty of this world, the Lord Jesus who loves you gave his life to make, the, uh, made all of this. 
a scientist when you're engaged in your research and, and, your, and your discovery. All that you study is a part of what the Lord Jesus has made. And it will bring up questions like I have had and I still have, why on earth, Jesus, did you make some of these things, like, like parasites and all sorts of things? Maybe in the World Series, you'll wonder why he made the Astros. I, I don't, had to throw that in. Had to throw that <laughs> But I tell you, I, I don't know why some of the things were made that he made. But I'll tell you, when you look at it, when you look around and see one another, when you look in the mirror and see yourself, you see a, a creation of the Lord Jesus himself. And in fact, he goes on to say, not only in him, but through him, but to him. All things were made. And once again, that's kind of unusual language, except what he's saying is everything that you see around you will point you to the greatness of the Lord Jesus. It's kind of like when you have a great meal, you know that didn't just poof, happen. It points to the greatness of the cook or the chef, right? And in the same way, when we look at this world, it points to the greatness of Jesus. At least we see his power and his sense of order. And now I know as we look at a world, and Pastor Chuck preached, uh, prayed about this earlier, you see things that don't glorify or aren't good, don't glorify Jesus, don't reflect his goodness and his greatness. But as I tell you almost every week, the Lord Jesus came and is now on a mission to take all these things that are broken and make them right. To, to take everything that is hostile and to begin to make peace. That brings me to this last thing that the Apostle Paul wanted to sing about. Jesus was not only God and creator, he is re-creator. He's going to take what is broken and make all things new. So that his him itself ends in verses 19 and 20 with these words. God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Christ. And then through him to reconcile to himself all things. The word reconcile is so beautiful. It means, as I said before, to take what is broken and to bring it back together, to heal it. To take what has become hostile, nations against one another and us against one another and people against God and make shalom and make peace. Whether things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace, shalom, through his blood shed on the cross... You see, it. this is just one of the many times that this promise that God will make unjust things just, wrong things right. And, and, it, and then the Apostle Paul sort of does what I try to do when I preach to you. He, uh, he takes the song and he says, it's not just things we, it's, it's for us. Did, did you notice the way it flows into verses 21 and 22? Once you were alienated from God. Do you, do you ever feel that? alienated from God, things still inside that are broken. Once you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, I sometimes like us to vote about whether we are personally short of what God would make us to be. You don't have to do that right now. But, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and without accusation. And he calls us to continue on in the faith. That will be another message. But this is the promise I don't want you to miss today when we think about Christ alone, that all those things in our lives that are not what they should be, he has the power and the desire, the authority and the readiness to take that and bring it back together. The anxiety, the depression, 
broken relationships, all of the evils of our world, he will bring them back together. And it happens, solus Christus, happens through Christ alone. Now, with this part of the message being over, a couple of things I want to say. One, I am just praying that this church really will be, not just that I'm preaching a sermon about it, that this will be a church that is solus Christus, it is all about Jesus. My, my prayer is that people who will come into church, when they go home and, and somebody will say, if they, they just were visiting, what, what's happening at that church? You may say, well, I don't understand it all, but they like to talk about Jesus there. <laughs> they seem to love Jesus there. I think this is our only hope of a church as diverse as ours actually being unified. That when everything else is broken, if we fix our eyes on Jesus and make Jesus the Lord of our lives, the closer you and I get to Jesus, the closer we have to get to one another. Do you see it? That's what I'm praying for us. I'm also praying that today if you've come and you're not really sure that you know God personally, that you've come alive to him and you've heard that Jesus and Jesus alone can do that, that this is a day that you'll make sure you place your faith in the Lord Jesus. It is so easy to do. Children, children have come alive to God. You heard them singing up here, didn't you? What we have to do is to confess that we need him and that there are things in our lives that are wrong, that we have sin that needs to be forgiven and we come to say, Lord, all this is in my life. Will you really cleanse it, taking the guilt and shame away? And you know what he says? I'll take it and I'll cast it as far as east is from the west. So it's turning from that and placing your faith and simply praying in your own words, Lord Jesus, my, I'll put my faith in you. I ask you to come into the center of my life. And Jesus himself says, then you will come alive to God. You will be born again. And his remaking will start in you. And then I also have to say this. If Jesus really is the center what we teach about and preach about and how we live, then I believe that we'll see more and more people actually coming to faith in Jesus. I don't know if you've read the studies that, that come to me all the time, like the Pew Research Foundation study about millennials. Millennials are people a lot younger than I am, okay, uh, holding all kinds of organized religion at arm's length so that when the question comes, what religion are you a part of, they'll put none and so this group is being called the nuns. I think that, I, I don't think that's a great thing to, I don't, that's a good self-identity. I'm a nun. But that's, but I understand it. I really understand it. I don't want to be a part of, of that kind of organized thing. And then when people drive by Lake Avenue Church out there and see this massive uh, facility here, they just think of organized religion. And, and then the Lord of this place is held at arm's length. If Jesus really is the center of this church, and, and he is the Lord of this place. And we make him known above anything else. Our programs, our, our congregational polity, whatever it is, all sorts of things we can be putting into this place. I believe people will come to faith in Jesus. And it's happening all over our world. Uh, do, you, do you know people who live outside the Western world, outside of Europe and North America, come from many, many different religions. And when they think of this thing called Christianity, you know what they think of? They, they think of the movies and the um, uh, television shows produced in North America and in Europe, and they see the morality and say, we want nothing to do with it, if that's Christianity. Or they think about the politics. 
that they think flow out of whatever it is that we believe. And they hold, they, they feel like we're enemies. But do you know what's happening? And much of this has started from some of our Lake Avenue Church missionaries. That people are proclaiming, come to Jesus. And just like with uh, uh, Messianic Judaism, where people come to Jesus with Jesus as the Lord of their lives, but they remain culturally Jewish. So in so many parts of the world, people are coming to Jesus as Lord, and there are people from the tens, even the hundreds of thousands coming to faith in Jesus. If we will make Jesus the center of this church, the attractiveness of Jesus will be so real that people here too will come to faith in him. Do you believe that? So, you know that I could and I've wanted to say much more about Christ alone, but I'm going to stop there for now. And I want to do something right now for us that at this point may not come easily to us. I want us all to speak out four words together today. There are four words that I pray won't just come across your lips, but will actually just emerge from the deepest convictions in your soul I think if you'll take these four words to heart, if you really believe them, they'll guide your life, they'll give you hope, they'll give you something to tell people about. And here, we're a quiet, we're a quiet bunch. Generally, I like that when I'm preaching, I, I like that, as long as you're listening. <laughs> but this time, I'm going to do something that will be a, an extrovert's heaven. And if you're not that, it, it may not be quite so heavenly, but, ju we'll, but just join us in all of this. The four words are these. Uh, Jesus and Jesus only. I'm going to put them up here. I don't know how long your memory is. So Jesus and Jesus only. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take some of what I've talked about today. I'm going to put it into questions to you. And I, if you believe it, I want you to declare uh, with the fullness of your voice and all of your being, Jesus and Jesus only. Should, should we try it once together? Jesus and Jesus only. I have hope. Let's stand together. Think about what I ask and then, if you believe it, declare it. How in this world can I come alive to God, Jesus and Jesus only? How is it possible that my sins can be forgiven, Jesus and Jesus only? How is it that the shame that I've felt in my family and my relationships can be dispelled, Jesus and Jesus only? How can my guilt be washed away? Jesus and Jesus only. How can my life be different and changed forever? Jesus and Jesus only. Who loves me so much that he died for me even while I was a sinner? Jesus and Jesus only. Who can assure me that I never, never will be separated from the love of God? Jesus and Jesus only. Who is right now at the right hand of the Father interceding in prayer for me? Jesus and Jesus only. And who is going to return for me in glory and assures me of an eternal home with God in heaven? It's Jesus and Jesus only. As your senior pastor... I, I declare to you the same thing that the Apostle Paul. That the Apostle Paul declared to the church in Corinth, I am determined, I am determined to put at the center of everything we proclaim nothing except Jesus 
and him crucified so that it will be to his glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.